0: you are the lord almighty you're outshining all the stars in glory and your love is like the wildest ocean oh nothing else compared you are the lord almighty you're outshining all the stars in. Your love is like the wildest ocean, oh, nothing else compares.
1: Good morning. We have two scripture passages this morning. The first is found in Exodus chapter 13, verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. And our next passage this morning is from Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do
0: good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You are the Lord Almighty. You're outshining all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean. Oh, nothing else compares.
2: Uh, good morning, friends. The Lord be with you. Uh, my name is Troy. I get to be one of the pastors here. I'm really thrilled to share the teaching role today with my good friend and fellow pastor, Tim Nelson. Um, uh, from the... Right, really early on, after I had met Tim, we both discovered that uh, we share... We share a kind of stubborn love for the local church. And it's been... Uh, A real joy over these past couple of years uh, to continue to do ministry together and to continue to partner together. And it made a lot of sense to me that when we got to this point in the creed, that he and I would share this teaching together. And so I'm really excited about that, especially since today uh, deals with the church. Um, Added potential visual bonus for you. If you squint, you might not be able to tell us apart. (laughs) Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, that's nice. We didn't even try to do that. Um, (laughs) um, I want to invite you, if you're willing and able to stand again, as we have done each Sunday during this series on the Apostles' Creed, uh, we're going to recite however far we've covered so far and then add today's portion as well. So I want to invite you uh, to join your hearts and your voices with me as we recite the Creed together. Ah, uh, I God, God, Father, Lord, maker earth, of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. you. You can be seated. Uh, uh, Scott, if I could, we can get the slides up here on this monitor, it be helpful. The Holy Catholic Church in the communion of saints. That's what we're going to try to cover today. Throughout this series, we've, uh, we've needed to deal with some of the vocabulary that shows up throughout this Apostles' Creed. At times, we needed to stop and to address some of the language, to unpack a little bit more of what we're talking about. And it makes sense today that we would probably deal with a couple of words that stood out to you. My guess is, as it relates to the church, a couple of interesting words, the word holy and the word Catholic. Let me deal with the first one, holy. I imagine some of you might have been tempted to tune out as soon as you saw the word holy in church beside each other. It doesn't take a genius. If you've read a newspaper or listened to a podcast recently, you would probably have to say, all right, pastor, isn't that being a little charitable? Isn't that maybe even being naive to call the church holy, really? What I want to stress is that using this adjective, calling the church holy is not an attempt to say that it is entirely free of sin. Maybe here's a helpful way to talk about this descriptor in the church. I think about it in two different ways. Okay, first is this. The Holy Spirit, that's, we dealt with the Holy Spirit last week. The Holy Spirit draws the church into God's sanctifying power. And it's God's power that makes the church holy. That word, that description, is given to the church by God, not because of what the church does or what the church doesn't do. It is given to the church by God. So it is God who makes the church holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, this word reminds us. Oh, I'm sorry, I I skipped the verse. Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, um, that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. So it's not the church's effort. It's not what the church does or doesn't do. It is given to the church by God. That's the first way we would think about the word holy. The second would be this, is that it it reminds the church that it is called to live into holiness. Yes, it will reliably and remarkably fail at being holy many, many, many times. Probably today, many, many, many times. And yet, this word is a constant reminder that the church is called by God to live uniquely. 2 Timothy chapter 1, it emphasizes that we together as a church have been called to live a holy life. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of God's own purpose and God's own grace. And so this word holy, it's a double reminder for us. It's a reminder that the church of Jesus is graced with holiness, and it's also called to live into holiness. Do you see that? Uh, uh, First Corinthians, uh, right at the beginning of that letter, Paul is talking to a people, and he describes them this way. That they are both a people who are sanctified in Jesus, they are holy in Jesus Christ, and they are called to be holy people. This is the way that we understand holy connected with the church as the Apostles' Creed describes it. Second word is this word Catholic. This is not a call that everyone should be Roman Catholic. That's not what this word means. Technically, the word Catholic means universal. It means everybody in the category. So it's really a word that's intended to unify us. It's a word that's that's supposed to remind us and draw us back to our shared headship in Jesus Christ. It's to remind us and to celebrate the diversity that has been a part of the life of the church from the very beginning. It's always been diverse. And it's also to remind us of what we hold in common, what we hold to be universal. For example, the Apostles' Creed that we're actually dealing with, this being one of those unifying, universal, one of these Catholic things, small c, Catholic. I like the way Miroslav Volf refers to Catholic. He calls the word Catholic, he says, here's a way of understanding it, it's differentiated unity. It's helpful, it's differentiated unity. It points us to celebrate, to celebrate and to remember that people from everywhere are part of this faith and that people from everywhere make a contribution to this faith. It's a point of celebration, not a point of contention for us. It's beautiful. It's worth reciting regularly. This past Tuesday, Um, was a feast day, a day of commemoration, a day of remembrance for a guy called St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence was a a church leader in Rome in the early 200s. And uh, St. Lawrence, his job, he was in charge of all of the material possessions of the church. And legend has it that a Roman official, now this is early 200s, this is a time of pretty intense persecution for the early Christian church. A Roman official comes to Lawrence and says, I want all of your treasured possessions. The governor, the ruling authorities, they want your treasured possessions. And they know who to come to, they come to St. Lawrence. And so they say, we want your gold candlesticks, your silver vessels, all these things of value. And so Lawrence says, well, I'm going to need a couple of days to line everything up. The official comes back three-ish days later, and he finds as he approaches this church that standing with Lawrence is this enormous group of people, this crowd of people. And you might wonder, is this an insurgency? Is this a revolt? Is this defense? But as he gets closer, he realizes this... These are a bunch of people who are blind and lame and maimed, and there are orphans and widows. And the official comes up and he says to Lawrence, I'm here for the treasure possessions. And Lawrence says, here are the church's treasured possessions. When the Apostles' Creed talks about the church, It's not talking about organizational structures. It's not talking about the preservation of an institution. The creed is talking about the church in the same spirit that the Bible does. That it is a people. That it is an ecclesia. It is a group of called out ones. And it's always about people. So what's being affirmed in the creed, it's not necessarily organized religion. It's certainly not one specific denomination. The creed affirms this, the calling of individual Christians to be part of the gathered and scattered people of God. Let me say it again, the creed affirms the calling of individual Christians To be part of the gathered and the scattered people of God. There are so many metaphors we could be using, images to talk about the church. This morning, Tim and I were going to offer up two word pictures to help us think about this part of the creed, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints.
1: I love that St. Lawrence story, these are the treasured possessions. You and I are the treasured possessions. The church, therefore, brothers and sisters, is a place like no other. Which makes me think of another place that I stood that was somewhat unique. It was over a decade ago, and I had just gotten the end of four days of traveling. Trains, planes, automobiles, a riverboat, and I was standing in a spectacular place. Actually, unbeknownst to me, I was standing in the longest estuary in the world. And my fishing guide was saying to me, this is a place where you will find fish like no other. Fish like no other. I think he was right. And the estuary is an interesting word. Who's, who, is this part of your daily vernacular? Anybody? What? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Careful. Okay. So estuary. This is my kid's phonetic spelling too. Estuary. Um, It's a place, by definition, where a transition zone between a river of fresh water and a maritime salt environments come together. And... Artist and cultural theologian, Makoto Fujimora, actually put this together and said the church at its best is like an estuary where these waters and currents and environments are flowing together. I love this photo. You can see kind of the different temperatures and sediment levels where the river's currents and all of its biomes and environments are meeting the tides of the sea and it is a place like no other. They are these diverse, dynamic, critically important ecosystems where freshwater flows and meets the ocean. There's all these like technical things you'd find in a science book if you see that with words like upper fluvial estuary and whatever. But then there's just the sheer beauty of it. Look at this next photo. This is where these ecosystems meet is a critically important place. The variety of them is what really makes such a difference, right? The various levels of salinization, uh, the ecosystems, the water temperature, plant, animal, aquatic life that teems into these places around the world, it makes them a place like no other. The health of the oceans and rivers of the world is actually directly tied to the health of the world's estuaries. Many species actually only live in these places. These amazing wonders, like the giant mudskipper. Look at that goofy Gus, right? Or the white sturgeon. Something to aspire to, whiskers. And, yeah? So tell you what though, what's interesting about this, more than these funky fish that live in estuaries, is the variety of life that happens only in these places. And actually, the vast majority of fish in the world utilize an estuary at some time in their life. 75% of all commercially caught fish in the world live part of their life cycle in an estuary. It's a place where breeding and formation and growth, transformation and the strengthening of fish and other species happen. While there's space to grow, there's ample nutrients, there's some safety from predators, the purpose of an estuary is, is not protection. It's actually preparation for what's next in their journey, in their life cycle. Often the estuary is a place of preparation for the journey. It's the place where salmon go through to go upstream to lay eggs. It's a place where tadpoles get legs and lungs are developed in creatures and critters to prepare them for life in the wild. And so when Makoto Fujimori says, the church is like an estuary, my ears perk up a little bit. Because so often my model of church, and in some ways rightfully so, is is safety and comfort. But the estuary tells us that comfort is not our calling and that preparation takes precedent over protection when it comes to the Christian life and what this communion of saints is all about. That the spirit is calling us and forming us into a place where critical growth in the dynamic waters of the congregation that's what happens. Where, where thing, the worlds are colliding and this is where instead of competition, as people from all different viewpoints and social classes and all sorts of things come together in one place, instead of competition, there's a concert of diverse voices that is held up in this place that is meant to form us for something else. Not simply to Stay. And so what happens until Christ's return is this perpetual preparation to join the spirit in mission in the world. And so we move forward into this image of the estuary with this question of what, what could the spirit of God be preparing you for as part of the church? Last Sunday, we, had, uh, we looked into the Holy Spirit as part of the creed. And after we participated in the Eucharist and people were singing, I had this this profound moment of looking around at our congregation. And like no other moment before, although I've had many, is that I felt the Spirit was moving and renewing people here, changing us. And I recognized that this is a place where that happens. There is no other place like that. I love groups, and reading, and books, but what happens in the congregation, in the gathered body, even in the scattered body if you're joining us online, something unique is happening in the world that is not found in a book, or a social group, or a podcast. There's something about the church where God has chosen this gathered body, and called it, imperfect as it may, to move, and transform, and grow us, and prepare us for something. In these waters. Trisha read that text, it was Exodus 13, 18, and it it is very simple. It says, so God led the people around by the desert road of the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up ready for battle. They were leaving Egypt. There were shorter ways, and yet God chose to move them through the waters to form them as a people of trust. And this text says they went up ready for battle. What they don't know is that it's, it's not necessarily a battle where they're fighting people right away. It's a battle of what, how God is transforming them, stepping into these waters of trust so that they can be formed for the journey ahead. Not necessarily see the wilderness as a place of protection, but of formation and preparation. What Israel goes into after this is 40 years in the desert— where God is preparing them, shaping them, forming them, allowing them to rehearse the cycle of redemptive history. Every day when they wake up to manna and quail and provision, recognize their place, who they are and whose they are, rehearsing the story. A place of preparation, the estuary, that we sit and are among the people of a place like no other in the world. That what God is doing in and amongst and through us is preparing us to join God's mission in the world like no other class, book, seminar, or group of people can. And we get to do it together. You're my boy,
2: Blue. Blue. So the church's estuary. I want to ask you to consider the church as a work of art. You also heard uh, Tricia read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It goes like this. Uh, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm going to focus on just one word here, the word handiwork. In Greek, it's the word poema. It refers to anything that's created, but classically, that's been a word that's associated with what's artfully created. It's the Greek word where we get our English word poem from. In one translation, it's it translated as masterpiece. Paul is calling the church in Ephesus and by extension calling us a work of art. I wanna talk about my two favorite visual artists of all time, since you didn't ask. The first is a man named Mark Rothko. Um, He was an abstract expressionist. He died in 1970. And for just over 20 years, he created a series that was all centered around this rectangular form. I love the symmetry of his paintings. And I love the predictability, I love the singularity of his focus. So that's Mark Rothko. Now contrast him with my other favorite artist, visual artist Vasily Kandinsky. He was also an abstract expressionist, he died uh, quite a bit earlier, died in 1944. Compared to Rothko though, Kandinsky is non-geometric and liberally uses all kinds of colors and all kinds of space, all kinds of shapes. There's much less predictability with Kandinsky. And it feels free but also chaotic, and I love that. I offer these two examples to you, these two artists, because I believe that the church is intended to be more like the artwork of Kandinsky than it is Rothko. It's meant to look more like this. I know we would all like greater predictability and consistency and form. We acknowledge, I mean, some slight variations are okay, but really, the more reliable, the better. Symmetry sounds good, right? Symmetry. More alike than difference would be easier, cleaner, clearer. But, friends, the images that we get in the Bible of the Church of Jesus Christ don't look like that. They're more diverse, they're more chaotic, they're more full of surprises and interesting people. The fully realized picture of God's kingdom has every tribe and every nation and every language in one weird potpourri. All jumbled up together. More like Kandinsky than Rothko. More variety, more color, more commotion, more shape, more size, more interest. And that might not be the way that you and I would do it. It might not be the painting that we would create, but let's not forget who the artist is. That Ephesians text, it stresses for us that we are God's artwork. That God is the artist, he creates the church, both the full global expression but also the particular localized thing that we are a part of. Sam Wells, he writes this, God is the artist who makes the church through the action of the Holy Spirit in the form of Christ out of the material of human beings. We are certainly involved. We submit as best as we can, individually and collectively, to be morphed and molded and shaped. We try to put our trust in the hands of the great potter. We do our best to not resist the work of the Holy Spirit, but we know this, God does the work in us and through us and with us. And then Wells continues with this. He says, the church isn't initially a community that does or makes things. It's not even an environment that enables and encourages things to be done or made. The church is fundamentally a thing that has been made. That we fundamentally have been made an artifact. The fruit of Christ's labors in the constant activity of the Holy Spirit. That should fill us with great humility and great relief. God is the artist. We, we are the people who have been artfully created. We are fearfully and wonderfully made together created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do thanks be to god
1: thanks be to god the humility is key cuz the irony is not lost on me as we sit here as two dudes who look almost the same <laughs> to claim the reality of the church as kändinsky right So we recognize that. But it's, it's who you got today. And thanks be to God, it's not just us. That God has been calling us, expanding us, and saying, Lord, lead us into a more full expression of your kingdom with greater and greater humility and a posture of listening and learning. Thanks be to God that we don't stay how we were. That this gets to be a dynamic group Called the ecclesia, the called out ones, brothers and sisters, treasured possessions. So, what does it mean for us to claim the identity of the communion of saints? Outside these two pictures, there's thousands of different pictures and metaphors for the church which is appropriate. The poet uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins reminds us that Christ plays in 10,000 places, places we're not accustomed to looking. So what picture metaphor do you resonate with? Is it us as the, the waters of the estuary or the paint on the canvas, this dynamic sense that God is doing something much greater than you or I? What each of us has to bring to the table in the church is entirely significant. And by God's grace, very small. What a gift that we get to sit in that reality. So we ask a couple questions as we move forward out of today. Reiterating, what's God using the church to prepare you for? What's the Spirit preparing you for next? Is it a season where you're going to need courage is the Spirit doing a work of greater joy and healing in your life? Is God preparing you for a, a season where patience is needed? For the journey alongside somebody else, maybe in a, in a long-term medical situation? Let us ask together, what is God using the church to prepare us for? And then I think too of the people of Israel in the desert and after, in the generations after that called to remember the work of the Lord. And so while, as Troy alluded to it, there's no shortage of dirty laundry in the church worldwide, our church, any church. We don't need to be scared of that because God doesn't need us to defend the bride of Christ. God's faithfulness is what this whole thing rests on. But I would love for you this week to tell a story, a church story. Where has God met you in the people? of this church or a previous church? Where has Christ shown up to your door with a hot plate, a casserole? Or whatever the story may be, where has your life been changed as being part of the church? It's good for us to tell these stories. So that's our second invitation, to tell a church story. Tell it to your children, your grandchildren, your friends at work. Just tell a a good story. and also to recognize that that you matter as part of this this place that you you belong it's funny i can often hear teachings like this as about a distant group of people and yet you are part of this story The fully realized picture of the kingdom of God, every tribe and every nation, every language together, as Troy was saying, more variety, more color, more commotion, more shapes, sizes, and interest. We participate in something that is diverse and creative. We get a chance to look around as we approach this table, just as we design this place to see one another as we hear and open the word. So that I never read this scripture without you seeing both the scripture and our community. We encounter the table in the same way. That it matters that we do this together. Rowan Williams says this great quote. He says, The person next to me, whom I may love deeply, may not know at all, may dislike, may even fear, is God's special, honored guest, praying Christ's prayer and living from Christ's life. You and I and us matter in this story. For those surrounding you and I, hold the image of God. The very body of Christ. There's there's literally no stronger language that could be used in scripture by the church or by Christ himself to say that you matter fully, presently, and eternally. You matter and you belong and we belong to God. And so we come to this table to celebrate communion, the community And so as part of that, as part of our our weekly back and forth of the Eucharist Eucharist liturgy, we're going to add a little bit of, of words where we join a much larger community in saying a few things. So keep an eye out for that. And so as part of this church, as part of this ecosystem, as part of this grand painting that God has been painting since the beginning, we come to the table with confidence Knowing that here we receive mercy and grace and are a part of the body of Christ. And so, with that, I invite you to to lift up your hearts. We say this together. Oh, actually, I was a little early. As the church, we have grace for one another, it's really great. So, let us start this again. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. And so it's right and good. It is a joyful thing, brothers and sisters, at all times and in all places, to give thanks to you, O Lord, God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven to forever sing this hymn, proclaim the glory of your name. Let's say this together, friends. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so holy and gracious God, You have made us for yourself. You've shown us this in Jesus Christ, your son, who on the night he was betrayed took the bread and he took the cup and he broke it and he blessed it and said, this is my body and blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and be a part of this meal. Set the table of our hearts to partake in the communion of saints, the body of Christ. Would you do for us what we cannot do ourselves? Would you knit us together in communion and humility and love? As we sit and eat together, would you bless us and transform us? Do not leave us the same. We ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. And so friends, we get a chance to do this together, to participate in the eternal meal as the body of Christ. We have tables around here. If you're new with us, we come. And we have uh, actual bread now, which is really beautiful. So you may dip or drink whatever you feel called to do. And we do this together. And we do this as rehearsing the story of the church. And so we say this story together, saying, Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Friends, come for all things are now ready.